Historic Cosmic Potato Studios, welcome to That Star Trek Podcast. This is your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. Now, on with the show. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of That Star Trek Podcast, your one-stop pod for reviews and discussions and deep dives and theorizing of all things Trek. I'm your host, Scott Madison, and joining me across the virtual table, I always like how Sean says it, so I just stole it. Joining me across the virtual table, we have three fine panelists tonight. We have Neek Yeager joining us as usual. How are you tonight? I'm not hitting on you. Boy, that was a terrifying moment before I remembered that was a quote from the show. (laughs) (laughs) Really thought I missed something there. Uh, Joining us as well, we have uh, siblings that get along better than the siblings uh, portrayed in this episode, at least nowadays. My very own brother, Tom. How's it going? What can I say? Captain Pike asked for the more handsome Madison brother. Ouch! <laughs> Damn! That... Moving on, we're also joined once again by network legend, the Admiral himself, Rick. Rick, how are you tonight? Nothing beats cleaning up someone else's mess. <laughs> we are, as I'm sure many of you uh, suspect, discussing Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 6, Lost in Translation, written by Onitra Johnson and David Reed, directed by Dan Liu. We are not discussing Episode 7, the crossover episode, which was released uh, uh, surprise quite early. Uh, sneak peek at uh, San Diego Comic-Con in Hall H. Um, not everyone on this panel has seen that episode yet. So we're going to say nothing about it other than the fact that it is already on Paramount Plus at the time of this recording. So you can see that early if you didn't know it was there. Uh, Tonight's episode, Lost in Translation, is this season's Uhura-centric episode where we begin with her personal log, which is becoming a uh, recurring element in the episodes this season. Everyone starts the episode with one of their personal logs. And... This week it's Uhura, and we get uh, quite a focus on on her. So we get a lot of um, a lot of focus on uh, Celia Rose Gooding as Neo Uhura, and we'll start off first um, before we get everyone's general thoughts on the episode, uh, because this is more than we've ever seen of uh, Celia's performance and portrayal of Uhura. This is most we've seen in. In, in one episode, I think. Uh, I, I, think I... I think this would qualify as the most we've seen of Uhura. Hard stop. <laughs> Full so. stop, yeah. In 50 years, I think this is probably cumulatively <laughs> more than we've ever seen of Uhura. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
I, I might have to agree. Uh, what did everyone think of, of her performance uh, in this episode and what she was given to do? We'll, we'll start with Rick. Rick, what did you think? I loved this episode. It's, this was this was very much a, a, a much-needed breath of fresh air after a couple of... Uh, I don't know if stinkers is the right word, but less than less than stellar episodes. Uh, this was fantastic, and Celia, 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 right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Celia Gooding, incredible. She, uh, you know, I've loved her her work ever since we first saw her as Uhura, but boy, does she nail it in this episode! Just magnificent work. I would tend to agree. Let's see what everyone else thinks. Tom, what did you think of? Uh, of of Uhura in this episode, uh, I I thought it was great. Um, it really got to use the character. Um, you know, just did did a fine job, and the actress did a, a, a great job um, portraying all the, the different uh, emotions and really getting that across. All right, and Neek, anything to add on Celia's performance? I think the actress did a good job. Yeah, I have nothing against that. I didn't love everything Ahura was doing, um, but I guess like you could write it off as you know she was going a bit mad. So okay, because I felt like she was a little bit unnecessarily hostile towards Kirk at the beginning. But if she was like she had just been dismissed by uh, Spock and Chapel, so maybe she was frustrated. So maybe I'll explain it that way. Mm. That that makes sense. I I noticed a few a, a few points in the episode uh, where she was acting what might seem a little bit out of character, but nothing that couldn't be explained by the uh, by the the plot, the the things that were happening around her this week. Uh, and speaking of this week, let's let's uh, uh, widen the shot a little bit and get everyone's take on on the episode overall, not just her performance, but. But with everything, before we start getting into specifics, um, Neek, general impressions of this week's show. I mean, as usual, there were things I liked and things I didn't like. Overall, I thought the the solution, if you will, when when Uhura and the Kirks, you know, discover what's going on, I felt like that was achieved a bit too easily. It was sort of a bit hand wavy, and I felt like Uhura sort of jumped to some conclusions and it was like, I don't know, I, I felt like they hadn't been given enough for them to make all those leaps. But, you know, I, I don't know, I was about to say I guess that's not too uncommon for Star Trek, but one of the things I've always liked about Star Trek is seeing the characters work through problems. You know, like a great example is, is Geordi spending an entire episode in the holodeck you know, talking to his one true love, trying to figure <laughs> things out, you know? And so them running around for half the episode and then just like a five minute scene of them actually figuring out the issue. I would have preferred less, I don't know, fewer hallucinations and fewer running through corridors and more of them actually talking and working things through. Yeah. I, with With that, I... I have no choice but to agree that it felt like the it felt like the writers had come up with what they knew the cause was going to be 
and they left that as very secondary to the plot. Mm. It was the effects that these undetectable aliens were having and how Uhura and Ramon reacted to them and how everyone else reacted to Uhura and Ramon. That was the focus of the episode. But the 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 cause of it all was just in the background. And when they get near the end of the episode, they say, okay, we'll, we'll reveal it now because this moves this particular scene forward um, which I didn't notice right away because undetectable aliens living in the nebula causing problems is what I pegged before the opening credits I mean it happens all the time yeah, it, yeah. So, can, if it wasn't Star Trek I might not have thought that but considering this is Star Trek I see they're going into a nebula and I say oh well they're going to find aliens in this nebula and they're causing trouble or they the whole mean nebula to. is a life form. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I guess to be fair, since this is a prequel, they haven't encountered that that many times. But... <laughs> well, then that just makes it worse for the earlier episodes that covered that, because it's like, uh, hello, they've done this. <laughs> Read your history. So Yeah. P- Pike's Enterprise came across this like 80 years ago. Come on. <clears throat> and yes, there's no coffee in that nebula. all right um uh tom overall what'd you think uh yeah i kind of already said that with the the previous thing i i did enjoy it um i I liked seeing uh kirk the first real kirk introduction like with the enterprise crew um and some of the lines that he had in there so i do agree with uh neek that the resolution just yeah, it, there's too much chance, especially for them to go and blow up this whole thing just based on her her assertion that she's right with interpreting all this. So, I mean, yeah, because I probably go go ahead. But by the time by the time they got to that point, I don't think they had actually found or established any hard evidence. She was just really sure. Yeah. I guess it speaks more to Pike and his command style, you know. <laughs> yeah, he he is going to trust his crew more than uh, more than some other uh, Starfleet captains that we've known. He's well, there's trust- also he's just seen a whole lot of weird shit happen. He's been hearing Uhura talk about seeing things, you know. That that's another one of the the things that this that this series has been doing really well most of the time is having crew members go whoa something's not right I'm going to tell people rather than just go hide in my quarters and pretend it's not happening you know so he's seen this he saw Ramon lose his, lose his mind um, I, I think that uh, I mean yes the, 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 the classic Star Trek you know especially from Voyager on of you know 40 minutes of setup and then 2 minutes of solution you know I, I didn't notice it, I guess, because I'm so used to it by now. Mm. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, they 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 spent a lot of time setting it up and not a whole lot of time fixing it. Um, but by the time you know Uhura came in and said, "Captain, it, we're 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 killing aliens and we need to blow that thing up," Pike put two and two together and went, "All right, I trust you," and and did it. And I thought that was a a really admirable thing. I. Uh, that part of it, especially when 
when she yells fire the torpedoes because it's you know, like she's clearly kind of gone past and 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 if if Ortegas had fired the torpedoes it would have been a little awkward but there was just enough of Pike looking over and going yeah do it. <laughs> it's like, yeah okay. they, they had to give that little bit of uh, no we're not going to let the ensign give all the orders on the <laughs> yeah bridge. I appreciate yeah. that, that he, he gave the nod to say yes what I didn't appreciate is them blowing up the damn refinery when you could have just like phasered the one part of it that's doing what you don't want it to do. Like you don't have to, if your car is broken, you can just remove the engine. You don't have to blow up the car. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> Tom just uh, regrets a whole lot of his automotive decisions. <laughs> yeah. If I had photon torpedoes at some point, I'd have used them on some of my cars. Yeah. Uh, they, they could have been a little more selective with uh, what they decided to break, but uh, exploding refineries look way cooler than yeah. breaking a collector off at, at, at the end. And Eric uh, couldn't wait to fire those torpedoes. Oh, of course. It, it was La'an who... Oh, that's right. It was La'an who fired them. It should have been Ortegas. <laughs> but La'an is security. Well, uh, now yeah. that I think about it, I, I, I grant you remember I complained that... that uh, Ortega shouldn't have had phaser control, but I, I, I'll grant you I had that that wrong. Uh, that Sulu did have the fire control for the phasers, but if you go to Star Trek: The Motion Picture and forward, the photon torpedo uh, uh, station was at the security station, which is was about uh, eleven o'clock on the bridge. So, yeah. <laughs> And I, I do want to uh, back up just a moment to agree with uh, what Rick pointed out, that uh, they've been doing a better job this season of when there's a problem, a crew member will actually you know, see something, say something. They will actually step up and, and try to proactively figure out what's going on instead of trying to hide it, which is why I was so glad that uh, in the, the teaser, we end the teaser with Uhura seeing a a gruesome hallucination in the turbo lift and the first thing we see when we come out of the opening credits is she's in sickbay mm -hmm. trying to get in yeah it's really refreshing to see that um as you said the see something say something mm -hmm. it, now, I, I hope i hope they keep it up was anybody else as happy as i was to see hammer back for even just a little bit it, it was nice. It was nice to see him again. And that's going to, um, I'm going to use that to, uh, lead us into one of the, one of the talking points that I wanted to bring up. Um, it's, it's a little out of order, but it doesn't matter. Um, seeing, uh, a, a recording of Hemmer that Uhura had made to help her remember how to, uh, do some work on the communications array. Like that, that leads us into, <laughs> Uh, that led us into a scene between Uhura and Pelia where Pelia was basically asking why are you avoiding me and we're going to get that again later in the episode between Pelia and Una and the, the same is true for both Uhura and Una and probably you know, most of the rest of the crew although we can't really tell because we've barely seen Pelia so far this season but there is a resentment 
on Uhura's part, on Una's part, and probably on the part of a few other people, a resentment toward Pelia because she is replacing uh, their friend, Hemmer, who gave his life last season. Did it feel to anyone else like this aspect of Pelia's uh, effect or interaction with the crew kind of came out of nowhere? Because here we are in episode six discussing it, and there hasn't been any sort of a hint that that people are uncomfortable with a with a new chief engineer on board. I think, yeah, I hate yeah. that. Yep. I didn't. I didn't. Well, okay. Uhura didn't res, didn't show any resentment. She was just it was just awkward, and she was avoiding Pelia. That I was totally cool with. The Una thing made no freaking sense. Agreed. I, I, if it had been anyone else, I probably would have been fine with it. But Una, as the as the first officer of this ship, and as you know, someone who's supposed to be has been established as someone who is pretty much in control of themselves, or at least normally is, to be that petty seems really out of character. Seems really bizarre. And and as Pelia pointed out, you're not pissed about the sea. And, you know, we didn't really see that much of a relationship between Una and Hemmer, so it really came out of nowhere. I agree completely. I, I hated that. I, it made me dislike Una for the first time. Mm-hmm. It really bothered me because I thought it was such a, like a nasty thing to, to make Una have that horrible personality trait all of a sudden. The only, the only way I could, like, handle it was by deciding maybe that's an Illyrian trait because like her lawyer friend was also petty AF. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe that's just how they are. Cause like, I thought, yeah, I thought it was awful. I, I think the C was a better explanation for her, her behavior than the Hammer thing. It was more believable. Yeah, I, a, a more believable explanation for a, a very inappropriate and, and hard to swallow uh, kind of turn in in characterization and i got the feeling uh like throughout all the scenes that took place on the refinery that it wasn't even una's reactions to pelia just una's behavior overall on the refinery seemed like unnecessarily uh unnecessarily harsh agreed and i I can if it was if it was her if, if this is the mode that she gets into when she's like okay someone else made a mess and i'm gonna clean it up we gotta we gotta crack the whip and we gotta get this thing fixed because things are going wrong then you know maybe but if that's if that's what the explanation is going to be then show her being her usual self when she's not actively giving orders because we saw we saw the uh we saw the way that she was behaving when she came onto the bridge at the very beginning of the episode before anyone leaves the ship to start the mission and she's all happy about pike's temporary promotion and she's talking about i didn't want to miss the speech and then she gets to the refinery and she's just mean and i i didn't understand why she was she was being written and portrayed that way th- this episode it it seemed it seemed very off Unless she was also being affected a little bit, which, I was, you know, yeah. that would have worked if they'd have just thrown a crumb of that in there. But they didn't do but that. They, they yeah. made it 
they made it about Hemmer and, I don't know, some weird reaction to Pelia. So it was, yeah, it, didn't it, look it. It's hard to even make that headcanon because uh, Una and Pelia like, very clearly discuss why she's been acting that way. And th they explain it to us on, on the shuttle. Well, as a as a teacher, that exchange bothered me because, you know, in in high school or grade school, that you gave me a grade mindset is it's there. It you know it it happens. But once you get above, you know, and, and a, a a Starfleet Academy graduating from a Starfleet Academy is probably would be equivalent to like almost getting a PhD. Um, or, or very, you know, at least like a master's degree. You're, you're in school for a long time, mm -hmm. and by the time you get through, you understand that no teacher gives you a grade; you earn a grade. Well, so again, e even if that was the reason, and it's not about Hammer, either way, it makes Una petty. Yeah, and it, it, it reflects badly on her character. Yeah. yeah. And speaking, <clears throat> excuse me. Speaking of Pelia being a teacher, uh, th this is more of a of a minor topic, but a, an interesting little uh, piece of dialogue. And I wonder what other people thought of it when she referred to Hemmer as one of her best students, and then immediately uh, backed off of that statement and revised it, saying actually he was just okay. I was being nice because he's dead. I thought was that it? was hilarious. Yeah, well, yeah I, I thought it, that was really funny. It, it was funny. Was it? Was it mean? Yeah. Do Do we think that that she meant it and was just being unnecessarily blunt, or did she, uh, or was she just saying that to try to lighten the mood? Do, do Do we think that she was joking, or was she serious? I took it as her being serious. I. I, I really liked the subversion of the trope because that trope of like, oh, he was my best student is like enough of that already. So her immediately turning it around being say, like, you know what, he was just okay. But she did follow up that statement by saying, but look what he made of himself. And so she, she you know, it was like this weird, I don't know, compliment sandwich. It was like, he was great. No, nah, he was okay, but he did a great thing. And so I feel like it was okay. I didn't feel like it was too mean or anything. I, I interpret it as Talia being a little bit awkward or a little bit different in her socializations, either because she's an alien or because she's immortal. And she's just like, whatever. She's just going to tell the truth because she's completely past caring about social mores at this point. Yep, I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely seen where the, uh, the inbuilt brain filter will shut off a little bit more often than it's on as people get older um i, I remember a grandmother like that and uh <laughs> so i imagine with pelia it's going to be even worse <laughs> moving on to what was going to be the first thing i wanted to bring up uh, also relatively minor because it doesn't really play a, a huge role in this episode uh, but it did get me curious uh at the very beginning of the episode, we see Captain Pike with a brand new Delta on his uniform. I want one. Uh, I, the, the first thing I thought was, I want one too. I had to assume it was to do with him being fleet captain? Yep. Yeah, 
Yeah, he, he got he got a new badge because, as we learn a few moments later, he has been, as he says, temporarily promoted to fleet captain. Now, one, that Delta badge on his chest is awesome. It is, as far as I can tell, it is exactly like uh, Admiral April's, except as fleet captain, he only has uh, two leaves at the bottom rather than the full uh, wreath going up well, the, the wreath, I think the wreath is there, but it's black. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're they're blacked out. The only yeah. gold leaves are at the bottom. Yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely caught that detail, so I know what to look for when I go shopping on Etsy, <laughs> because I must have that badge. Uh, does anyone think <clears throat> that this truly is just a temporary thing that was here for just one episode, had very little impact, and he'll go back to being just regular old captain, or are they going to stick with this and keep him a fleet captain because they're showing us? yet another step in the evolution of Pike that will eventually lead to him being what we saw in uh, the Menagerie. I he, think yeah, he, was fleet ca- he was fleet captain at the time of the accident, so... Yeah. Or will be. <laughs> I mean, they're leading up to a Gorn war, right? So I'm assuming that he's going to be fleet captain of whatever melee is going to exist between them and the Gorn. Yeah, uh, yes, I, I, I'm I think he's so. going to keep the rank. I think he's going to keep the rank. I think it's going to be more than just one episode. Um, we know there's another episode with Jim Kurt because all the trailers had that uh, scene with him, Una, and Laan in the transporter room. So I think they're going to continue that fleet with the uh, Farragut for a little, at least one more. Ep- well, I. I I don't know with the crossover, but I think at least one more episode they're going to have that. Okay. Um, I had forgotten about that uh, shot of the three of them, so I wasn't thinking necessarily of of Kirk showing up more. Uh, But if if Kirk is going to be around a little bit more, get to know the crew a little bit more, that's again laying down uh, a bit more foundation for eventually, I would hope, ending this series with the passing over of command from Pike to Kirk and then stopping the series there rather than trying to continue Strange New Worlds with, with Captain Kirk. I'm hoping they, they don't do that. We've already had a Captain Kirk Enterprise series. Um, before moving on to the to the next topic of discussion, I'm going to uh, give us a quick break so we can have uh, John Irons give us his take remotely. Um, he is He's given us a, a nice big uh, review of his episode, uh, his review of the episode, and I'm going to read it rather than try to talk on my own. <clears throat> From John Irons. I really liked this episode for all the reasons, presumably, that I suspect many of you liked it. I don't mind what they're doing with Chapel and Spock, though I am a little annoyed that they have to do it. Hashtag canon is stupid. <laughs> but the main thing I needed to say was that Uhura wearing a do-rag at night to keep her low natural waves laid was the epitome of representation I didn't know I needed until I saw it. And it wasn't a space do-rag or a futuristic do-rag. It was just a do-rag, just like brothers and sisters around the world use today. And in that moment, she even kind of looked like my sister. I don't know if it was the surprise of seeing something so familiar, yet so unexpected, or the greater context of the scene, of trauma and family set in the motherland of Africa, 
But at that moment, a thought never occurred to me before. Just as she is connected to her ancestors, I am connected to her. If Star Trek could be real someday, I could be an ancestor of someone like Uhura. I think I acknowledge this in the abstract, like humans can reach the stars and solve all of Earth's problems kind of way, but not in the very personal, my descendant could be Uhura way. I didn't think all of that at the time, of course. I was just excited to see a black woman wearing a do-rag and kept watching the episode, but I did make a note to myself to make sure I mentioned it on the show because I doubted anyone else would. And I was sure even if they did, it wouldn't hit the same way. As much as I crap on the idea of canon in things like Trek, in an episode centered around big ideas like grief and acceptance, I'm genuinely happy that whoever's call this was made it, and in doing so subtly acknowledge one of the little things that many people of color do every day. Not the dramatic, but the mundane. And that too is a touchstone of what it means to be human. Yeah, I know I noticed it. Um obviously it, it didn't it didn't have the impact on me that it did on on John. Um I just I noticed it as as interesting that it was something very familiar. It was something uh you know, it it wasn't a space do rag. It was and and you know i see that all the time at school or or at work you know you, you see people wearing those and it just it was such a a a normal thing it seemed out of place isn't the right word um because it was totally appropriate it just seemed i i noticed it because they didn't make it futuristic it wasn't like silver LeMay or something you know if they'd have done that in, in 1969 it would have been some space fabric <laughs> even if they had done it in in 1987 we saw the towels that they used on, yeah. on the enterprise d those <laughs> things were ridiculous yeah <laughs> now so th this is a great segue into something i wanted to mention i don't generally plug out uh podcasts outside of our our network very often but uh the sci-fi sisters over on uh on the trek geeks network they got an interview with Celia and it is wonderful. Um, I knew Ahura was important and we all know the, the stories of, of Nichelle and, and Martin Luther King and, and, and how important she was to uh, black women in the 60s and, and, and representation. It didn't occur to me that that was still happening because I'm, you know, stupid, blind, white guy. Um, the 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 cast the, the 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 cast I don't know what you call the 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 the, the ladies on the podcast the hosts the hosts yeah <laughs> uh, they were just enraptured of having her on the show and talking about how uh, you know what a wonderful job Celia is doing at, you know, being there and representing and being her own person, not, not trying to imitate Michelle or anything like that. And it was such, it's such a wonderful conversation. So I, I highly recommend giving it a listen because Celia is wonderful too. Uh, but just if, if you are like me, the, the, the importance of Uhura has kind of faded into the background as a given this is a good reminder that it's never a given. Very true. I 
I, I don't know how to follow that, first of all, because, I mean, I mean, damn. But second, um, like Rick, I also noticed that I, I noticed what she was wearing when she got up from bed. And I said, oh, it, it's I think it's interesting. And a, a it's a nice touch that something so familiar to us here in the present is is still being used and it's still being incorporated then. But that's about as far as my thinking stopped because as as Rick admitted, I'm also uh, incredibly white and to try to to try to read into that particular detail and and think on why it's there and what it might mean I'm not in a position to to do that with 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 any sort of confidence. So I just kind of assumed someone who knows a little bit more about this, someone who's who's better equipped will likely address this. And sure enough, we got that with John's uh, remote review. So thank you, John, for that, for the entire review. Uh, glad we were able to incorporate him. We miss you on, on the show at the virtual table. Come back soon. Write recaps like you did with the, with the other series. Those were fun. Can I throw out my hardware wonkery real quick? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's on the list. We'll check that out. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, one thing, and this is this is not a complaint. This is just they finally established it uh, in the in Star Trek: The Next Generation and going forward. The glowing end caps of the nacelles were clearly established as Bussard collectors for bringing in stray atoms of hydrogen to uh, to boost their fuel if necessary. But it was never said on the original series and people just kept calling them the Bussard collectors. And I was like, mm, never said they were, but now they are, <laughs> they, they established it. I, I, I cannot argue nor, nor what I wouldn't argue, but it was just like, eh. the other thing that's been bugging me forever, uh, is that again, in TNG, they very clearly said that the enterprise D was the flagship of the Federation. Now my, Research has shown me that the people writing Star Trek have no idea what flagship means, but uh, <laughs> be that as it may, it's become the the. It's just they're they're the. I don't even know what they think it means on Star Trek, but it's because it, the flagship of any navy currently is where the admiral is. That's that's in command of the fleet. <laughs> but on Star Trek I guess it's it's this is the best ship with the best crew and when we need to put on a good show this is this is the ship we send the original Enterprise never was that it was just one of a fleet of 12 Constitution class ships um, they said it on this episode they said this is the flagship so I was like alright I'm going to stop arguing that point now too it yeah I, I agree they've been since at the very least, since uh, TNG, they've been using flagship to denote this is the most important ship. It's the best ship. It has the best crew. The best of the best get to be on this ship because it's it's top of the heap because it's the flagship. Um, and now because it's the this is the Enterprise, the original Enterprise, it's super important. So it has to be quote the flagship as well because because it's the ship everyone knows. They are playing very fast and loose with the definition of flagship, but but now they have they have in canon hashtag canon is stupid applied that term to the enterprise, so now it's retroactively true. So now throughout TOS, it's also the flagship. We'll assume. 
Uh, now, let's, I think yeah. you could actually you could actually argue that in this episode, this contact, it is the flagship, being that he's the fleet captain. The, in, so. in in their fleet of two between their fleet the Enterprise two. and the Farragut. <laughs> yes, the Enterprise is the flagship. Sorry, Farragut. You've been Farragut. We haven't seen the Farragut yet, have we? I don't remember seeing it on oh. screen, but they reference it as a tiny ship. Yeah, it's it's not a Connie, and we I, I know that we did. Was it the Farragut in the season finale last year? Uh, yes, uh, Kirk was commanding the he Farragut. Was commanding in the, the Farragut, yeah. So in, it was a, in that alternate uh, in that alternate timeline, but I don't know that we saw the Farragut. No, we saw it, but I don't know if that's going to be the same ship in this reality. Oh, okay, I. I have no recollection of what it looked like if if it showed up in that episode. It was so. it was kind of Cerritos like, but I mean I think the the nacelles were yep. below the the primary hull and mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, speaking of Kirk, uh, we'll move on to this. I'm going to combine some of these points um, in, into one before we get to uh, the last point that I want us all to go over. Uh, we have officially, as Tom said, the first appearance, the first official appearance of Prime Universe James Kirk in, in Strange New Worlds. In person, yes. Um, he's on the Enterprise for the first time. He's meeting uh, Uhura and Spock for the first time. Uh, what does everyone think of uh, finally seeing the official Kirk? And we're gonna, uh, we're gonna lump into this conversation uh, Kirk's interactions with his brother and, uh, and how they interact and get along. And the scene between the brief scene between Kirk and La'an. Uh, did we think that the the scene between the two of them, I, w was it nice to see that uh, following up the episode from earlier in the season uh, where La'an traveled back in time? Did we think it was too quick? What's everyone think? We'll start with Neek. I'm really liking this Kirk now. Uh, when we first saw him, the, like the alternate version of him, last season um i was sort of ambivalent uh and now i'm really warming up to him i i think paul wesley that's his name right yeah i think he's doing a good job i was i never really watched vampire diaries but i've seen enough of it that i actually really disliked his the character he was playing in that show and i guess i sort of took it out on the actor and so when he showed up in this i was like eh but I've really warmed up to him. I really like him. Um, I don't think the show needs him. I'm going to assume the show is throwing him in there because Anson Mount is busy changing diapers or something because I want more Pike. I don't want more Kirk. That being said, I have nothing against more Kirk because, and I, I did like the interaction between him and Sam. I want to hear from the Madison brothers about this like sibling rivalry thing. I mean, I have one brother and he has two sisters. So like, I, I don't really know. I mean, that's not true. I know people who have brothers that are like boys who have brothers, but I don't know. Was this an, uh, a realistic interaction? There's, I wondered, they were, so, they were both such jerks and like, do adult men carry on this like 
brother rivalry well into adulthood? Oh yeah. <sighs> <laughs> so uh, good adult men. For what it's so, worth, uh, my brother's who, not who here, so first? I can Do I speak talk first? freely. <laughs> so I don't know, Tom. Who talks first? Do you talk first? Do I talk first? I, <laughs> I, I think we've established unanimously that yes, that's a realistic depiction with you know for certain families. Um, I, I would say the fact that uh, Sam just took off. I mean, was open about it, as opposed to just you know bottle that feeling right on down and then more bottle it down you know i've heard that there are some that might do that sort of thing so um <laughs> so uh yeah but you know rick has also agreed that, that that's not a uncommon depiction i think the only the only problem i had with it was and again it's you know, they've got to distill this all down to 42 minutes or whatever, is it happened really fast. But, you know, no one can push your buttons faster than, than family. Mm. You know, maybe I was just not really looking at it, but when they're having that first conversation at the bar and, you know, Jim says, you know, so what's new in the field? And, you know, I could have seen that as being a genuine question and Sam like you, you don't care so, <laughs> there was a little you bit of care. snark in, in Kirk's in Jim's question he's like so what's new in xenoanthropology <laughs> yeah I felt like Jim was really disrespectful towards Sam's work and I couldn't quite tell if he genuinely thinks xenoanthropology is bullshit or if he's just poking at Sam I really wasn't sure where he was coming from. But I did feel like I knew where Sam was coming from, which was the place of jealousy, which seemed, cause he's the elder brother, right? Cause mm -hmm. he, he was, yes. I felt like he was being, I don't know, childish. Like I, I felt like he, he was giving more of a, a baby brother energy or something. It, it did seem to be a, an odd dichotomy if they hadn't, uh, put in the reminder in the dialogue that that George is older then I would have been reading the scene as George being being younger Be and that's I think because he's reacting that particular way to Kirk's uh, to, to Jim's runaway success versus George you know he he's doing his thing he's doing what he's good at but he's not breaking fleet records and and getting promotions faster than than anyone else ever has that that friction between the two of them because uh george resents how how much further jim has uh, advanced beyond him it, it's something i i obviously recognized it in that scene but that's not an aspect of of brother relations that that I've had experience with unless I'm really far off Tom but you and I didn't really compete at things that way but when when we were younger we 
we very much did our own things. Now there were some similarities, like we were both involved in say like music and to a degree theater, but we were doing v very different things. You, yeah. know, you, play, you played an instrument and I sang, you worked behind the scenes in theater and I was on the stage in theater. Uh, so we didn't often uh, you know, come up against each other in, in, in any way like that. Uh, and similarly, we did not uh, compete for, say, the approval or the affections of our parents. That, that was never an issue. I, I never felt that either one of us was, was favored over the other. Uh, so while the scenes between Jim and George were uh, believable, wasn't something that I could really directly relate to. And I say all this while staring directly at Tom on the Zoom screen just to make sure that I'm not like really off on something. <laughs> and and that's why I, I, you know, I was kidding, half kidding around when I said, you know, I can talk freely because my brother's not here. I, I'm not saying that you guys are hiding anything. But my brother and I had a very contentious relationship. We still do. We, we get along really great with a thousand miles between us. Um, <laughs> But we could set each other off with one sentence misplaced or said the wrong way or something like that. Um, I didn't think that we were competing for my mother's affections, but apparently my brother had a different view on that uh, as we were growing up, as I found out later in many a drunken argument. Um, uh that's what we've been missing, Tom. We've never gotten drunk and yelled at each other. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. you oh. got to do that. That's Because I, <laughs> I, I, I don't want the listeners to, to misunderstand. In our younger days, this guy was a butt, and I hated him. <laughs> We're okay now. But I couldn't stand this guy. <laughs> the only reason I don't call him worse names is because I don't want to denigrate our mother. <laughs> Um, I mean, it, but we're good now. I promise, we're good. It seemed like, at, at least at first, when when Jim beamed over to the ship, uh, and and it almost felt like a little bit of a dig when Sam was like Jimmy, or like we'd never heard anyone call him Jimmy before. Um, but you know, it was cordial enough. But you could kind of see Sam going, "I don't want you here," and I think Jim. You know, they like I said, they ramped it up a little quickly, but it certainly felt like Jim was kind of, not, if not holding out the olive branch, at least trying to stay cordial. And Sam kind of lit the fuse, and then Jim was like, "All right, we're going to do this. Let's do it." And uh, and I I felt every minute of it. Uh, I I it I don't I didn't feel like it was inaccurate, if just a little quick. Because mm. like my brother and I will be good for a couple of days if we're if we're together before things start deteriorating. <laughs> the thing that bothered me most was no mention of Sam's wife or kids. Because, like, if you look at the star dates, this is only like six years before the beginning of TOS. And so when Sam dies, like his, the, his surviving child is already like 13 years old or something. So he should already have at least one kid. Unless, so, unless he was a stepkid. Well, he wasn't. I think that was pretty clearly established in that Did episode. That these are his biological children. Okay. 
I, 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 I'm not disagreeing. I mean, I, I would have honestly to rewatch the episode, but I mean, I think it was pretty, I think they, they were pretty clear on that, that, that he had a human wife, so it's not like a rapid aging alien baby. Yeah, yeah, no. So no, I, she I was, feel like, yeah. I feel like there should have at least been a mention of like, oh, you know, my wife and son, and I don't get to see them often or something. Like, yeah. How, how's the family, Sam? You know, yeah. A little something. But, again, they didn't really have a whole lot of time in this episode for the the impetus for the main plot. So maybe that's just something else they didn't have time for. And, once again, we've already established that we're going to see Jim at least once more this season. So they still have time to address that aspect of their, of their family relation. And so... One of the th- oh, go ahead, Tom. Well, I, one other thing for the uh, relationship with the the two of them. Um, it, I, at first, I, I thought this might not relate, but maybe it does. Is why was uh, Jim Kirk even there? Because he was and the first that officer of the Farragut. Yeah. Why? Was but why did he? The that's the point. Why did he come over? He he doesn't. I think he just came over literally to see Sam, right? Yeah, I, I came over. To I visit. think so. Yeah. I, yeah. I think he 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 was there as far mission wise. He was on the Farragut, but why was he on the Enterprise? Yeah, I think he was just coming over to see to say hello to Sam and to get a look at the flagship. Yeah, it just I mean, maybe that played into you know Sam's hostility. You know, you know, this is my ship, and you're just jumping in here. But he didn't seem to have any mission-related purpose to be on board. Mm. I suppose it'd be rude if he was there in town and, and didn't, you know, stop in. So, and and maybe it was the 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 captain of the ferry. It was like I don't want to go over there, Jim. You deal with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got family over there anyway. Just go. I, I'm I'm gonna go take a nap. Yeah, I I don't like standing next to that Captain Pike. He's just <laughs> too goddamn handsome. Just go over there and, <laughs> and do this instead. And I I wonder if if somewhere under the surface, once Jim got there, Sam was like, "Oh, great! Now he's on my ship. Are you gonna try and get like? Are you gonna try and make second officer over here on the flagship?" I yeah, did I, like. I really uh, got the feeling that Sam was was the bitchier of the two, and. Jim tried to be nice, but once Sam started, he's like, "All right, gloves are off. Let's go." Mm-hmm. One one thing I'd like to say, real uh, really quick, and this this was this hit me on the second viewing, um, and I know that you know we're looking at it kind of historically backwards, but the relationship between Kirk and Uhura in this episode really sets up and I don't know if they were even thinking of this but it really sets up when he appears the first person he appears to in the Tholian web is Uhura hmm hey you could make a couple connections there yeah and you know she she thinks she's going crazy again (laughs) now um but you know they've got this they've got this connection now Mm mm-hmm and I wonder and, if if I wonder if any of the writers me, were thinking of that. Correct me if I'm wrong. When she sees him in the Tholian web, is that where she like she tells someone and they don't believe her? 
Yeah, they think they think because the, the the area of space where the Intrepid was lost was driving people insane because it was it was deteriorating their brains, and they thought she was the first victim of it, and so they had her in sick bay, restrained. Well, and then that works even better if if Kirk is like the first person to believe her here, and then he's not available to be believing her when yeah. she's him. That's nice. Yeah. And, and then once, the once he appears to everybody on the bridge, both Spock and McCoy go to sickbay and go, nope, you weren't crazy. We saw him. Come back to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in my recap, I was like, oh, well, we're men and we saw her, so therefore it must be true. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I noticed I didn't say we're sorry. <laughs> there was yeah. no apology there. I, I feel really bad because I finished watching the episode last night, and the first thing I did was pick up my phone so I could read the neat cap, and I... I kind of fell asleep while I was reading. <laughs> <laughs> but it had been a very it was a long work day and I didn't get to finishing the episode until like 11 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry about that. And I I I do want to back up Tom and he was right. In the Tholian web, it was not the Intrepid, it was the Defiant. Oh, sorry, you're right, the Defiant. The Intrepid was blown up by the Space Amoeba. Yes. It was an entirely um, Vulcan crew. Last uh, Kirk thing before I before I move on to the Gorn issue, which I want to wrap up the episode with. Um, we get our first our canon first meeting between Kirk and Spock. There wasn't much to it. It was very brief. It was very simple, but it was there. Did anyone have any feels about that? Anything to say about that particular meeting? Was it um, was it not what you were? Uh, expecting, hoping for. Did you want more? What did everyone think? Rick, it was fine. It's fine. There was, I mean, there was no fellatio. So, uh, you know, I'm sure some people were disappointed. But uh... <laughs> okay, you're done, Tom. What do you think? <laughs> I, I don't know how to follow that. Um, definitely, that was not on my radar. To... <laughs> Neek, save us. What did you think? Thought it was sweet. Um, you know what? My thoughts were with Uhura in that moment. Um, because, like, what I thought when she's, you know, you see the trio of them and we pan out, it was like, ah, oh, Uhura is going to be working for these two for the rest of her life. <laughs> she is going to be under Kirk's command forever. And that kind of made me a little bit sad, actually, for her. Because of what we've already mentioned with how you know, the Nichelle Nichols Uhura was so badly shortchanged. And so it's nice that Uhura is finally getting things to do. So like, you know, all the thumbs up for Uhura actually having a storyline. But it, it made me sad because of, you know, the, the chronological order of things. To know that going forward, she's not going to get really get much to do other than like, open a dictionary to try to read Klingon or, or other, you know, do that stupid fan dance or all the other bullshit they force her to do going forward. So, yeah, it kind of made me, it made me smile for the interaction between Spock and Kirk, and it made me sad for Ahura. That was an aspect that I did not think of, but I always trust Neek to, to bring the perspectives that, that don't necessarily occur to the rest of us. Finally, before we wrap up this episode, um, we have once again 
near the beginning of uh, of this episode a mention of the Gorn, how the refinery is being built in a nebula near to Gorn space, and it's an effort to help counteract their uh, their increasing expansion. We're six episodes in. We know that episode seven is going to be uh, a funny haha episode, and there are strong indications without without saying too much, strong indications that episode 9, the penultimate episode this season, is also going to be a, a, a lighter episode. Do we think that we're actually going to have a, a resolution or an escalation of this uh, Gorn storyline by the end of the season? Or does it feel like they are moving to position a major Gorn conflict as the centerpiece of season 3? And they're getting us in position to launch that storyline in the in this season's finale. What do people think of the Gorn issue? I don't know where they're going to go with this. Canonically speaking, to use the word, um, there was to my, to, the, to my knowledge, as as far as what we've seen on screens. There was never an outright Gorn war. But it's pretty clear with the events at Cestus III that there were open hostilities if the Gorn thought their territory was being encroached upon. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of wiggle room for them to go either way with this, whether it stays just limited skirmishes here and there or an all-out conflict. Uh I really have no idea what they're, you know, there, there's there's no precedent for going either direction or there's precedent for going either direction, depending on how you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Perhaps they're setting up for a private little war. Don't hey, go what? there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, remind me, um, when Kirk fights the Gorn in that iconic episode, um, does he know it's a Gorn? No. So, okay, so no matter what, Cannon's been violated then. Okay. Yeah, big time. Okay. Well, I'm reading. I, the I actually, album. I don't know because they they didn't recognize the ship as a Gorn ship. Right. But the the Melcott, not the Melcott, uh, the the Metron identifies the Gorn as a Gorn before they see each other. So there again, there's there is room for we we don't know this ship is a Gorn, but we know what Gorns are because I think Spock makes some comments about the Gorn during the episode. I can't remember the exact quotes that makes that sounds like the Federation has had dealings with the Gorn but maybe just never saw them. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. But there's, yeah, there's been definitely some, some uh, liberties taken with who knows what the Gorn look like kind of thing. Yeah. We're going to have to do a, going to have to do a a rewatch of arena now, just in anticipation of this maybe being, being a thing because from arena, I can't remember if, uh, if it was established that they didn't, that Kirk did not know what this alien was, or if they just didn't specify 
that Kirk knew what it was. It's possible that that he knew, oh, I'm I'm stuck on this planet with a Gorn. I'm fighting a Gorn. But he just doesn't say it out loud, so we don't necessarily know whether he knows or not. That's what I'm unclear about, and I'll have to go back and, and rewatch it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Tom, I know you're... Uh, you're playing producer for the moment and you're doing some some reading on, on Gorn history, but what do you think about this yeah. season? Uh, do you have any uh, suspicions on where you think they're going? Um, I kind of hope, based on where we are in the season, that they're setting it up for season three uh, for any of that Gorn activity. But then, because otherwise it's going to be, you know, rushing to cram the big event and its resolution in what looks to be just a, a few episodes. Uh, so I hope they're not going to do that. So. I mean, at most, it would have to be two episodes, because we know what episode seven is going to be about. I doubt they're going to try to put a Gorn storyline in episode nine with what we recently learned about that through the uh, San Diego announcements. Yeah, I hope not. So it would be the season finale and maybe, or maybe episode eight to try to pay off this this Gorn thing. So I, my personal opinion is it would be best story-wise to because they've they've been dropping hints about this since the first episode of the season. Get to the finale and set us up for a, an ongoing Gorn conflict in season 3, which doesn't have to be every episode. This doesn't have to be Enterprise season 3. But it can be the the overarching story that they refer to and are sort of dealing with in and out throughout throughout the season. But they've given just a few bare mentions of the Gorn throughout this season so far. We haven't seen them. So to try to make them the big threat for one episode at the end of the season seems kind of kind of a waste. If they do it, maybe as a you know cliffhanger into the next season, but I mean, that it just seems weird. They established it as such a threat at the end of the first episode, yeah. Um, and that we're six episodes in, and they haven't had any mention of it, so or hardly any mention of the big corn threat. So. Yeah, just a few bare mentions, but no, no. Uh plot lines or, or episodes about it so we'll see what they, I, I didn't think of that but that could also work if it's if it's a solid a solid two part episode with you know a cliffhanger going from, from seasons two to three that could work it doesn't necessarily have to be all the season three but if it's a if it's a really solid two maybe three part episode if they do a, like the first two episodes or a feature length season opener for season three that could work also just I I just hope they don't try to resolve it by by the end of episode ten because that'll be that'll be a little too convenient and quick. I hope they don't. Whatever they do decide to do with the Gorn, I hope it's not too much. Like I I wouldn't want it to be an entire season. I, I mean, I, not that I have anything in particular against the Gorn as they've been portrayed in Strange New Worlds, but. It just, you know, I'm sorry, John, but it does bother me the further they get from canon. So I I don't want to do too much. Yeah. Right now, they still have some wiggle room for the adult Gorn to be much more like what we're used to. 
because they they did specify that what that what we saw that the babies were much more feral or, mm-hmm. or wild. So hopefully, mm-hmm. if we do see adult Gorn, we'll see something that makes more sense as a spacefaring race as opposed to aliens. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, movie aliens, not just aliens. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't don't forget uh, their appearance in Enterprise. I'm really trying to forget their appearance in Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I work hard. I stay up nights trying to forget their appearance on Enterprise. I, I have forgotten their appearance in Enterprise. <laughs> the, enjoy the two, that. <laughs> the, I'm, I'm going to ruin it for it. The two-part Mirror Universe episode in season four of Enterprise. Really bad CG, like almost Scooby-Doo level cartoonish. Yeah, it, 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 it's a fully CGI Gorn on the USS Defiant that Archer and his crew come Right, from. yes. And it does look like a Velociraptor, which they mentioned. But um, just going back and being that voice of canon uh, for Memory Alpha, the article on the Gorn says that the Gorn's official first contact with the Federation was the attack of Cestus uh, III. So that, in the episode, is Again, their first official is what they're saying, but it's canon, and canon's kind of loose. Squishy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, it, it's a little squishy. They're they're toying around with it a little bit this season, and they've already established that they can have a huge, um, impossible to ignore event, and then just sign a couple papers uh, at Starfleet <laughs> Command, and it officially never happened. USS Discovery. But one thing that did, (laughs) one thing that did officially happen was this episode of that Star Trek podcast, which is now over. So we're going to wrap things up. (laughs) Let's go around the table and have everyone uh, do a little pitching and plugging. Uh, Rick, where can people find you elsewhere on the the Internet? Aside from this show, you can find me occasionally on uh, Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast, when that show happens. Uh, also, occasionally on Captain Game Show. In fact, as we record, I and one other person on this panel are on the most recent episode of Captain Game Show. And yes, that game happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, otherwise, uh, I have a new show in the works, the name of which is a bit in flux, but it's looking like it's going to be called The Geekly World News. Stay tuned for more details. Outstanding. <laughs> Tom, do you have anything that you want the listeners to hear or know? Uh, similar to Rick, uh, you can find me here and on Cosmic Potato Super Fan Talk podcast occasionally. That's about it for me. All right. And finally, Neek, where can people find you? You can read my comic recaps of Star Trek episodes at superanemic.com. And you can stay here at the Infinite Potato Alliance to listen to Moon Show for all Moon Show. Moon Show. I keep forgetting to say I'm on Moon Show. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick is on Moon Show, by the way. Yeah, where can um, we find you? Where can yes, we find you? You're also on Moon Show. Where can we find me? We can find me uh, hosting this very podcast and uh, so far being a regular panelist that, that, that could change. Uh, regular panelist on Moon Show, a For All Mankind podcast, with occasional appearances on Cosmic Potato and Captain Game Show as well. Outside of podcasting, if you're tired of listening to my voice, you can visit my website, 
www.planetrisecreative.com and have a look at some of the graphic artwork that I do on the side by commission. I want to thank everyone for joining me on this uh, particular episode. Also, thanks to John Irons for uh, sending in his review, being with us remotely. Really appreciate that. And, uh, oh, I should say John Irons, the host of Captain Game Show right here on the Infinite Potato Alliance. Uh, Once again, appreciate all of you for downloading, listening, hopefully subscribing. And stick around for our next episode when we will be discussing Star Trek Strange New World Season 2, Episode 7. What's the title? Those Old Scientists? Those Old Scientists. Yes. Those Old Scientists, the long-awaited Lower Decks crossover episode, already available on Paramount+. Plus. Rick, stop it. I know you've seen it. Shut up. I'm not saying a word. <laughs> Join us for that episode next time. And until then, folks, thank you for listening, and good night. Before John stops listening, um, just as an editing note, I wanted to double check with Tom uh, just real quick. I didn't go too far with the like saying that I hate you, right? Do you want to talk about that out? Uh, There was a whole episode of Prime Direction that covered that. (laughs) That's true. That's true. My brother never listens to anything I do, so uh, I'm safe. (laughs)